0: Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Let's turn over to Ephesians again. We started last night in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And I use this uh, verse that is um, pretty common to a lot of people but not commonly understood. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And last night I was making the point that, that grace alone doesn't save you. Faith alone doesn't save you. You're saved by grace through faith. And then I began to define some things. Grace is what God does for us, independent of us. It has nothing to do with us or it wouldn't be grace. Therefore, you didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. God didn't look at us and respond to us. But rather, grace is something that is done by God before we ever have a problem, it's done independent of us, independent of anything that we deserve. And that's a wonderful truth. But some people have taken this truth about God does things independent of us and not based on our worth or value, and they've gone to an extreme where they forget that there is a faith on our part that it takes to release the grace of God. Last night, what I did basically was talking about an extreme of this to where people get into the sovereignty of God and teach that God just controls everything. It's independent of you. Whatever God wills comes to pass. And I spent quite a bit of time last night talking about that. Today, I talked about the flip side of the coin. And some people forget that it's God who provides everything and they actually think That we, by our faith, can make God do something. That we move God. That we can manipulate and force God into things. And that is equally wrong. And basically, the body of Christ has been split into these two camps to where it's either que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You know, I said that over in France not long ago. And when I said that, I didn't realize it was French. (laughs) So when I said that in French, she interpreted it in English. That was kind of interesting, but some people just case Sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be will be, and they just think it 's all up to god that 's wrong on the other hand, to think that it 's up to you to produce your healing and you 've got to believe God and you 've got to grab hold of God and you 're going to make God do something, and you 're going to move God is equally wrong. Both of those things are poisoned by themselves we aren 't saved by faith and we aren 't saved by grace we 're saved by grace through faith. And so that's what I talked about last night and this morning. If you missed any of that, of course I went into a lot more detail, and I encourage you to please get those CDs or DVDs of this, because this is, whether you've put it in the terminology that I've described it in or not, I can guarantee you every one of you deals with this problem about what is God's part, what is my part, what do I do. Probably one of the most common questions I have asked me is, what does God want me to do? Well, that's what all this teaching is about. And basically, it's just He wants you to understand what He's already provided. And then, this morning, I gave two definitions of faith. Faith isn't something you do, and then God responds to you. If you have that concept in any form or fashion, if you think that God is looking at your Bible study, your prayer, your holiness, your goodness, and when you do enough, then God will release His power, then you haven't got a true definition of faith. That's legalistic, that's religious, and that's the reason that things aren't working. Faith is not something you do to get God to do something. But faith, here's two definitions that I believe are consistent with what the Scripture teaches. Faith is just your positive response to what God has already accomplished by grace. Man, that's a powerful truth. And a second definition that I believe is saying the same thing is, faith is how you appropriate what God has already provided. When you believe God, God doesn't move. Like, for instance, when it comes to healing, if you believe God for healing, God doesn't respond to you and heal you. The scripture says it by his stripes. You were healed. 2,000 years ago by his stripes. That's talking about what happened in Herod's judgment hall when he took those stripes on his back. Jesus isn't healing people today. He healed people 2,000 years ago. All of the power that it takes to heal every sickness and every problem in the human race was generated 2,000 years ago. And then when you get born again, God places that raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And you don't need God to heal you. God has already healed you. He's placed raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And all you've got to do is understand what has already been provided by grace. And then your faith just learns how to release what God has provided. Again, I don't know if that means much to you, but when the Lord showed this to me, it transformed my life. You know, I'm just sharing things with you. I don't have notes up here. I'm not sharing things that I've studied and made a message out of. This is what God has done in my life. This is how I live. It's how I think. And I'm telling you, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect, but I've left. And I've seen some supernatural things happen including my own son raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. And right here in this auditorium, we saw a woman last night that had a lump in her breast. That thing was dissolved instantly. She went and checked herself. It's gone. We had two or three people already tonight that had pain. Some of them had had pain for 15, 20 years, instantly gone. They're already healed. We had people healed of back problems last night, sinus problems, all kinds of things. I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but I know I'm moving in the right direction because I'm seeing results that is beyond human results. And one of the things that transformed my life was when I quit trying to get God to do something and instead started believing what He had already done. I started putting faith in grace instead of faith in what I could do to make God move. And I believe that this is where a lot of people are missing it. Right before I get into these scriptures, let me just give you one example that my son Joshua, when he was young, uh, it's quite a long story, but anyway, he had this uh, sickness that happened to him on the same day every year. It was in December, and on a certain day in December, he would get the same sickness every year in December. Didn't make any sense. I don't believe it was physical, I believe it was a demonic attack. But just like clockwork, same day, every year, he would get this same sickness. And after a few years of this, I saw it coming. I saw these symptoms coming on him. And man, I started fasting and I was praying and I was rebuking and I was binding and doing all these things. And I could see Joshua just getting sicker and sicker. And um, anyway, I got to pray and I said, God, I know this isn't right. I know that this isn't normal. You don't get a sickness on the same day every year. This is just the devil. And why is it that we aren't seeing better results, and I could spend more time developing this, but the thing that really just changed my life right here, the Lord says the problem is you aren't fighting because I have healed you. You are fighting trying to get healed. You see yourself as the sick trying to get well instead of the well that Satan is trying to steal your health from you. I don't know if that means anything to you, but man, I made a a paradigm shift. I said, you know what? This is wrong. God has already healed us. By His stripes we were healed. He's already put this power on the inside of me and I'm acting like I'm the one that is fighting to obtain victory. I've already got victory. I'm not fighting towards a victory. I am coming from a victory. I have already been made more than a conqueror. And when you change your mindset and quit seeing yourself as I believe, like over there is healing. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to get there. See, when you think that way, there's already doubt in that. Even though that sounds positive, but you know what? You're saying, I'm not there. And if you aren't there, then there is a possibility that you might not get there. But see, if this is healing and if you say, no, I'm already healed. I refuse to let anybody take from me what God has already given me. How can you not get what you've already got? How can you not get there if you're already there? I no longer see myself as the sick that is trying to get well. I am the well. God placed His power on the inside of me and I am not trying to get God to move. And you know, this leads into so many other things. This is just a foundational truth that changes the whole way you look at things. But actually, once you understand this, the Christian life isn't about how to get God to do anything. And yet, if you would stop and think about it, most of us have heard some message about seven steps to make God do this, or to get God to do this, or to do something. You know, I hate to pick on anything. I probably shouldn't do this. I I won't do it. I'm growing up. So I'm not going to do it. But you know, I could name so many things right now that are subtle things that most of us don't even think about. We just swallow this all of the time. But really, most of the Christian life is all about how to get God to do something and how to get God to move. If I was to come in the most Pentecostal, spirit-filled, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, churches today, and if I was to get up and preach on, man, it's a double portion. God is going to pour out twice as much of the Holy Ghost. Man, would you like more of God? Would you like God to do something new in your life? I can get nearly 99.9% of the people to run forward because, for, man, they're looking for something. They're, they're looking for God to do something new and to touch them. And technically, all of that is wrong. God has already done everything that He's going to do. And on the inside of you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you bodily. You don't need God to do anything. You don't need God to bless you. You don't need joy. You don't need peace. Now, a lot of people struggle with that because they think, well, you don't know me, man, I'm depressed. Well, that's because you're only looking on the outside. You're searching your emotions. Most of us don't have the understanding of what's going on in our spirit. But in your spirit... You already have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Galatians 5:22 and 23. Those aren't things that are out there that if you will pray hard enough and study the word and live holy and do right, God'll give you love, joy and peace. No, in your spirit, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every day of your life, your spirit is rejoicing and praising God. It has never been depressed. It is never discouraged. When you're depressed and saying, oh God, where are you? It feels like you you just moved someplace. It's never your spirit. That's only your flesh. That's because you are going by what you feel. By, you're going by what you see. But there is a spiritual part of you that is seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. It's real. I don't know if I can get across to you what I'm trying to say. Matter of fact, I've got a book entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body and a teaching on this that uh, is a extended teaching on this. I encourage you to get it. But did you know that every one of you right now, if you're wanting healing and you're saying, oh, I just don't have any healing and I need this, the truth is you already have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got more than enough healing. You don't need God to heal you. What you need to do is to find out what He's already provided and then once you get that revelation... And once you make this mindset change to where you aren't trying to get healed, but you know God has healed you. And now you're going to defend what God has given you. You aren't going to let the devil steal from you. It makes all the difference in the world. When the Lord showed me this about Joshua, you know, for years I had been fighting this sickness on the same day, every month, and I mean every year, and I would fight and it would take... 15 hours or you know a day or whatever and i'd see him get healed but we were going through this thing but once the lord showed me that 10 minutes time that was over and that was the end of that because you know what i was no longer trying to get healed we were already healed and there wasn't a devil big enough to steal from me what god had already given me it's much easier It's much easier to defend what you've already got than it is to try and get something that you don't have. People come to me and say, would you please pray that God would just pour out His love in my life? Now that sounds like a great request, but you know what? I don't like that. I mean, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me when somebody says something like that. Because what you're implying without saying it is that God, for whatever reason, has cut off the spigot and the reason you don't feel love or joy or peace is because God hasn't released it. That is never true. See, another thing about grace. Grace is not only independent of you, but grace is consistent. Since it's not based on you, it's not based on whether you've lived holy or done anything right or wrong, it's always the same. The grace of God never fluctuates it never changes. God is never on and off. It's never God who releases His power in your life and then you do something and switch it off. Now, this is what religion teaches us. But God is always on. He's always releasing His power. This is the reason that, again, I, don't, uh, I had somebody come up and misunderstand what I said last night. I hadn't got time to probably put everybody's questions to rest. But that's the reason I don't like the way that the body of Christ is approaching revival. It's not that I'm against revival, I'm all for revival, but I don't believe God's up there with His arms folded saying, no, until more people pray, a little longer, until you get a little harder, until you get another 100,000 people together, until you beg longer, until you repent more. See, it's implying that God could control revival. And it's just up to God. If God wanted to, man, we could be having red-hot revival. All of our churches would be filled out. This nation would be turning towards God. And we're imputing the problem unto God and saying, God, send revival. It's not like that. God had not got His arms folded. God's got His arms open. He's trying to release His power through us. God wants revival more than we want revival. We don't need to plead with God. What we need to do is start believing that God, you've already placed revival on the inside of me. I got the same power that raised Christ from the dead and I can go out and do the same works that Jesus did. I'm going to see the dead raised, the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open. You go out and raise a few people from the dead and you'll have all the revival you can handle. Amen. We're praying and saying, oh, God, send revival. And God is praying and saying, you go take revival. I've placed my power on the inside of you. But see, the whole mindset of the church is, why hasn't God moved? Why hasn't God done something? I'm telling you, God has already done everything. He moved through Jesus. And everything that God will ever accomplish in the human race was accomplished through Jesus. It's done. It's over. When Jesus said, it's finished, it was finished. He had accomplished it. It was done. You don't need God to heal you. You don't need God to save you. He's already saved you. He's forgiven the sins of the whole world. Now will you believe and receive or doubt and do without? God's grace is already provided. Now are you going to believe and receive? It's a totally different mindset. Amen. And it's amazing how people miss this. Look here in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to just share a little portion of some of this teaching I have entitled, You've Already Got It, just trying to illustrate this same relationship between grace and faith. This whole book that I've got entitled, You've Already Got It, is just a further amplification of this same truth that God by grace has already done, moved, done everything He'll ever do. And now it's just up to us to appropriate it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, This means past tense. The word hath means it's already been done. It didn't say who is going to. I don't know how many of you have been in church for a while. And I'm not against church. You know, I've recognized the pastors. I've encouraged you to get in church. But I'm saying that, man, so much of what is called church today is religious and far, far, far removed from the Bible And basically, most churches, if you listen to the prophecies that come in churches, it's all about there is going to be a new thing. You know, we just turned the New Year and you're going to hear so many people saying that 2008 is going to be great. God's going to be doing this. God's going to move. And everything is all about in the future. It's like God's the great I'm going to be. But not the great I am. If you listen to the average prophecy, it's all about there's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be something. We are going to see some power. There is something coming, but basically right now there's nothing. And yet, that is not the message of the Bible. One of the reasons I love the book of Ephesians is because it's written from this standpoint that it's already done. He says right here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath already, already, it's already done. He has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's the King James, but if you read it in some of the other translations he amplified, it basically is just saying that he's given us all earthly and spiritual blessings. It's all already done. God has already passed his blessings out. And yet how many people pray and say, oh God, bless me? You know, that's a prayer of unbelief. But I need to be blessed. No, the truth is you're already blessed. You just hadn't received it yet. You haven't, first of all, heard or believed and therefore you aren't seeing the manifestation of it, but God has already commanded the blessing upon you. When a person says, oh God, heal me, and I know some of you aren't going to understand what I'm saying, but that's all right. I'm used to being criticized. I can live with it, but what I'm telling you is the truth. When you sit there and say, oh God, heal me, actually that's an insult against God because the Bible says, 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes we were healed. If God says you were healed and then you say, oh God, heal me, one of you is wrong. And I just choose to believe it's not God that's wrong. He says by His stripes you were healed. If you were healed, then you are healed. Why are you asking God to do something that He's already done? Somebody said, well, i got a doctor's report to prove that I'm not healed. No, that just proves that your physical body hasn't received it yet. But according to the scriptures, I'm going to share some of this with you in just a moment. God has already healed you. He's placed the resurrection power on the inside of you. And that's certainly enough to heal your hangnail, your cold, your headache, or your cancer, or your AIDS. None of these things are a problem with God. God has already placed supernatural healing power on the inside of you. And yet we're asking God for these things. You know, if I was to give you something like... Say, for instance, if you came up here and, and I said, Here, here, here's my Bible. And if I gave you my Bible, and then you walked up to me and said, Andrew, would you please give me your Bible so that I could look up a scripture? How do you respond? <laughs> when a person asks you to give something that you've already given to them. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'd probably just look at you like... Uh, What's wrong? You know, if God could be confused, I believe that God would be confused. Because there are millions and millions of requests. Oh, God, I'm trusting you to heal me. Oh, God, I'm believing you to heal me. Oh, God, stretch forth your hand and heal. Oh, God, rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. I hear people pray that prayer all of the time. People say, Well, it's in the Bible. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is God rent the heavens and came down through Jesus. It was appropriate for Isaiah to say, oh, God rent the heavens and come down. But it's inappropriate for you to pray that because God rent the heavens. And if you are praying that, in in a sense, you are not evaluating, not valuing Jesus properly. You're saying, oh, well, I know Jesus came down, but oh, God, I need you to do something else. Like Jesus isn't enough. We pray the prayer that was over in uh, Psalms chapter 51 where David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Renew a right spirit within me. You know what? That's an unbelief prayer. Well, David prayed it. David was an Old Testament man that wasn't born again, that God hadn't promised that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But for you to pray and say, Oh God, don't ever leave me. For us to come into a church service and say, Oh God, we ask you to meet with us today. It's an unbelief prayer. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And yet I can guarantee you, most churches, let's pray and ask for the anointing to fall. Man, God's already anointed us. Jesus, when He came into the hometown, when He came into Nazareth, He got up and stood up and over in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, He quoted from Isaiah chapter 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He didn't go into a back room with the preacher and say, Let's pray and ask God to anoint you. You know, people do this with me all the time when I go to their church. Would you like to go back here and let's pray and ask everybody to anoint you? And you know, I am so polite and kind and non-confrontational that I don't say anything. I really don't, believe it or not. But what is the point of asking God to anoint me? If I'm not anointed, by the time I get to your church to preach, I'm not going to get it in the next five minutes. If you don't believe that I'm anointed and if you don't believe God speaks through me, why would anybody invite me to their church in the first place? Why go back here and let's spend 30 minutes praying and asking for God's anointing? It's unbelief. That's right. It may be a good desire that you're wanting to see the power of God in manifestation, but you don't have to beg God for the anointing. If God calls you to preach, He would be unjust to call me an introvert that couldn't even look at a person in the face to speak to millions of people on television in the whole meeting, he would be unjust to ask me to do something that I can't do and just turn me loose on my own to do it and I have to beg him. No, if God tells you to do something, if he says come, that word has enough power in it to walk on the water. Anything God tells you to do, there is an anointing present to get it accomplished. And you don't have to beg Him for it. Actually, by approaching God and saying, Oh God, please anoint me, you're starting from a position of unbelief. You're saying you are unanointed. When the scripture says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that He hath called us and has anointed us is God. I'm already anointed. You're anointed. He's anointed every one of us. And so instead of starting over here in unbelief saying, Oh God, I'm not anointed, but would you anoint me? You need to start believing that He hath blessed me with all spiritual blessings. I've already been blessed. I've already got love, joy, and peace. I don't need God to give it to me. What I, if I don't feel joy, it's not God who hasn't given. It's me that is somehow or another switched off the joy of the Lord. And what I need to do is work on my receiver, not God's transmitter. You know, it's just like television signals. Right now, there are television signals in this room. And if somebody says, I don't believe that there are, that doesn't mean that they aren't here. It just means that you aren't real smart. (laughs) You say, but I can't see them. I can't hear them. That doesn't mean that they aren't here. They're here. They're just in a form that you can't perceive with your little peanut brain. So what you do, you take a television set, and you set it up here and plug it in, turn it on, tune it in, And when the TV set comes on and starts broadcasting a program, that's not when the signal starts. The signal is already here. The signal is being broadcast 24-7. Right now there are multiple signals, television, radio signals. There's all kinds of things going on in the unseen world that we can't see. But they're here. When you turn on your television set is not when the station starts broadcasting. That's when you start receiving God is always, 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 always releasing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And it's not coming from out there somewhere where the demons are blocking His, you know, some of this religious doctrine that we have, the demon. We've got to get a hole cleared over clear water so that our prayers can get through to God. I know some of you believe that stuff. Somebody said, well, that happened in the book of Daniel. Again, Daniel was an Old Testament man. Jesus hadn't died and hadn't broken the dominion of the devil. But in the New Covenant, you don't need your prayers to get above the ceiling. You don't need them to get above your nose. God lives here on the inside. That's the reason you bow your head when you pray is so that you can look at God. You say, Father. Amen. This whole concept of the demons are blocking our prayers from getting up to God. Shows that you don't understand what God has already done through grace. And that's the reason that Satan is eating your lunch and popping the bag is because of a lack of knowledge. You're sitting here feeling like, oh God, we've got to have a move from you. God's already moved through Jesus, and He's placed on the inside of you the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You can go out and do the same works that Jesus did. And if we, if every person in here, went out and started representing Jesus as somebody who could do everything, but has done nothing. But He could do it, and if we'll pray hard enough, no, if you'd quit representing Him that way, and if you'd go out and say, man, good news, God's already done it. You know what? You're already saved. God's already forgiven your sins. Now, will you receive it and receive this salvation? Will you receive healing? That's a different approach than saying, oh, let's pray and just ask God to move. Man, if we would go to representing God correctly, if every person in here got this mindset and went out and instead of begging God to do something, started acting like he had already done it and started believing God and started releasing the power of God, I guarantee you we could see a transformation in this area. You would see more revival than you could handle. But see, we're up here, our television set's not working, and instead of turning on the thing or checking to see if it's plugged in or seeing if we have the channel adjusted, the first thing we do is call the television station. Why aren't you transmitting? Please turn on the power. Please start sending the signal. Please, I want to watch Andrew on television or whatever. (laughs) I know that's what you do is watch me. But see, instead... We Instead of checking our set, the first thing we do, if we have a sickness in our body, God, why haven't you healed me? He's broadcasting 24-7. If you aren't receiving healing, it's not God who hasn't released it. It's you that doesn't know how to receive it. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. It takes time to educate and learn, but you've got to get... This is a starting place is to recognize that God is not the one who hasn't healed anybody. God has healed all of our sicknesses and all of our diseases. And that power is already on the inside of us. If you aren't feeling it, if it isn't manifest, it's not God who hasn't given, it's you that hasn't learned to receive. So start working on your receiver. Instead of calling the station and saying, God, what's wrong with you? Broadcast, oh God, pour out your power, oh God, sin revival. God's not our problem. Man, God has been releasing His power for 2,000 years and the church has been in the dark ages. Not because of God, because He hasn't been moving. It's because we haven't been receiving. We've been ignorant. Satan has been stealing from us. Man, I wish I had time to go through all of these verses. Let's jump down to verse 14 here in this chapter. And Paul begins to pray a prayer for the Ephesians. And in verse 15, he starts this prayer. And before I read it, let me just point out something. As we go through and read this, I want you to think about it. If you were writing a prayer that was going to be prayed for saints 2,000 years in the future, how would you pray? for people 2,000 years in the future who would be reading your prayer. Think about that for a minute. The wording might vary, but if you're typical, here is the typical way that Christians pray today. It would be something like, Oh God, we ask You to pour out Your power on that generation. Oh God, just move. Oh God, sin revival. Oh God, we ask for a new... It would all be some form of pleading with God to do a new thing, to move, to do something. I want you, as we go through this, to look at the way that Paul approaches this. The only thing God, Paul asked God to do is to give them a revelation of what you've already done. He didn't ask God to do anything new. He just said, open up their eyes to what you've already done. He was praying for revelation of what you already had. If a person comes and says, would you please pray to God and pour out His love in my life? No, I won't do it because God's already poured out His love through Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Romans chapter 5. There is no problem with God's love. God loves every one of us infinitely more than any of us have ever understood. You don't need God to pour out His love. Now, if you want to come and say, Would you please pray with me that I could get a revelation of what I know is true? I know God loves me, but I don't have a revelation of it. I don't understand it. I'm not walking it. I'll pray with you in a heartbeat for that. I'll help you fix your receiver, but I'm not going to impute to God that He doesn't love you. God loves you. Somebody said, But I don't feel the love of God. Well, then your feelings are wrong. Your feelings are broken. But it's not God who's not transmitting His love. Well, I don't feel the joy of the Lord. Well, then your feelings are wrong. Because the truth is you have love, joy, and peace on the inside of you all of the time. Did you know every time you've been depressed and discouraged and stuff, your spirit is just rejoicing and praising God. Your spirit is happy and blessed. And some of you are thinking, well, it is not. I'd know it if it was (laughs) No, that which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh. You can't tell what's going on in the spirit realm unless you get into the Word of God and start reading it. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John chapter 6 verse 63. So anyway, let's read this prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. He says, Wherefore, I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you. You know what? Not many of us in our prayers give thanks. Our prayers are all about, oh God, I need this. Oh God, please give me this. Oh God, help me, forgive me. That's what most people's prayers are about. And if you're a spiritual giant today, then your prayer is all about, oh God, give them this. Oh God, give them that. Oh God, forgive them. 99.9% of all prayer is about your needs. There's not a lot of thanksgiving and praise because, again, we don't see God as having done much. We see Him as able to do anything, but He hadn't done very much. We've got to constantly petition Him. Once you start understanding that by grace it's already been done, then your prayers turn more to where it's just thanksgiving. You know, I don't sit down and consciously evaluate my prayers, but I I can guarantee you that my prayers are more than 90%. I'm sure it could be much higher than that. But 90%, 95%, 99% of my prayers are all just, Thank you, Father. Man, I love you. I appreciate what you've done. I spend virtually no time asking God for anything because He's already provided it. I know some of you think, Well, boy, you're weird. I think you're weird. And until you start getting better results than I'm getting, maybe you ought to consider doing it the way I'm doing it. Amen. Amen. So anyway, he's, he's praying here. He's giving thanks in verse 16. "'We cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in our prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him.'" And just for technicality's sake, if you go back in the first few verses of this first chapter, did you know he says that God has already abounded towards you in all wisdom and prudence? So the truth is, God has already given you wisdom and prudence and understanding. Now he's just praying that it'll get to functioning. So he's not even technically asking God to do something that he hasn't done, but he's praying for an application and understanding of what God has already given to you. So he's praying... That uh, the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. He's praying that your eyes would be open, not your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes. You know, I wish I had an hour or two to teach on this. I've got a great teaching on this one, walking by faith. But God originally created us to have six senses, not five. We walked by faith. Adam and Eve communicated with God through the Spirit. And when it says in Genesis chapter 3 that their eyes were opened, this isn't talking about the eyes of their heart. They were created with a sixth sense of faith where they walked by faith. But their... Spiritual eyes became closed and their physical eyes opened up to the existence that most of us live in to where we're just carnal and we just go by what we see and we don't have any spiritual perception at all. Originally, God made man to be able to perceive things in the spirit realm. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's an instance where Elisha was surrounded with a Syrian host and his servant said, Alas, my master, how shall we do And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open up the young man's eyes. He wasn't talking about his physical eyes. His physical eyes were already big as saucers looking at all of these enemy (laughs) troops around about him. He was praying that his spiritual eyes would be open. And all of a sudden, he saw with his heart, and here were angels. I believe that Adam and Eve could see angels and could see things because they were walking by faith. They could perceive it and... That scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6 is the exact opposite of what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve went from seeing by faith and walking by faith to where they degenerated to seeing by sight. And then Gehazi went from seeing by sight to where all of a sudden he saw by faith and could see spiritual things. Now through the new birth, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 around in there, he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. The norm for the New Testament believer, we should have this sixth sense of faith restored to where we can see things with our heart that you can't see with your eyes. That's normal. And Paul is just praying that our spiritual eyesight, our spiritual understanding will, all of a sudden, we'll begin to perceive things that we can't perceive with our little peanut brain, that we'll begin to start perceiving it through our heart, that we can see the hope of His calling not, not just the hope of your calling, the hope of His calling. You are now born again and you have a calling that is beyond human ability. You know, I could take another side track right here and talk about your destiny. And most people are trying to find out what God wants them to do, but they are looking for something that is, they are capable of doing on their own. God, show me what you want me to do. I believe that if what you feel God called you to do is something that you can accomplish, then you haven't found God's will for your life yet. God has a plan for you that is supernatural. It's going to take supernatural ability. For instance, with me, I was an introvert and couldn't look at a person in the face, and now God has me speaking to thousands and thousands of people. I'm doing something that is physically impossible for me to do. If you can do it on your own, I doubt if it's God. God will call you to something that is supernatural. It's the hope of His calling. God is a supernatural God. And most of us are shooting way too low. We're aiming at nothing and hitting it every time. Man, we need to increase. We need to, recog- we need to get our eyes open so that we can see the hope of His calling, what God's plan for you is. Not just what you think you can accomplish on your own. And he says also that you would see what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice that his inheritance is in the saints. We sing these songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's gonna be. In the sweet by and by, it'll be wonderful, but boy, in the rough now and now, it's just it's a drag. But you know what? God, it says that we have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm not sure what verse. We have already obtained the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. People say, well, man, I don't understand that. You go look in the mirror and you think this is glory? <laughs> nope, it's not talking about your physical body and it's also not talking about your soulish, mental, emotional realm. But in the spirit... You are full of the glory of God. If what's on the inside of your born-again spirit had to be replaced, it would bankrupt heaven to put back on the inside of you what you have. The glory of God dwells on the inside. The riches of the glory of His inheritance is in the saints. It's not out there. It's already on the inside of you. See, we don't know that God has already done this. We think that when we all get to heaven, that's what a day that's going to be. The only thing that's going to happen in heaven is that you're going to get a full revelation of what you've already got. And I believe that that's the reason God's going to have to wipe tears away from our eyes. Not because we came through such a terrible thing and we barely got into heaven and we're all weeping and wailing and He's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. But I believe that it's when we stand before God and we see... The whole time, like it says in uh, Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 17 or 18, it says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not to us, but in us. When we stand before God and all of a sudden we know all things, even as also we are known, we're going to say, You mean God? I had the. Same power on the inside of me the whole time that raised Jesus from the dead. I could have been raising the dead. I could have seen these problems solved. I could have been walking in joy and victory the whole time. Man, we're going to be crying and saying, oh God, I missed it. And he's going to have to wipe tears away from our eyes and supernaturally enable us to enjoy heaven when we find out how we let the devil beat us and destroy us in this life. The riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. And then in verse 19, he prays that we would get a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to. The word according to means to the proportion of or to the degree of the same power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in the world that's to come. He's praying that God would show us the exceeding greatness of his power that's already on the inside of us. It's the same power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now notice again, if you go back all the way to verse 3, He hath already blessed us with these things. He's not praying that God will give us this power, that God will release more power, that we will get a double portion of the Holy Ghost. He's praying that we would get a revelation of what He's already put on the inside of us. Brothers and sisters, the power that is on the inside of every born-again person in this room is the exact same power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead. And I can promise you that if you were to somehow or another be able to monitor or put on some kind of a scale, you know, the opposition of the devil, the power that he has used against God, Satan mustered every ounce of strength that he had. He put all of his power, he put every one of his forces right in front of that tomb trying to block the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, the power that raised Jesus from the dead was greater than all of the force of the enemy. And you have that same power on the inside of you. Man, that's awesome. You know, this church that we go to, they have, it's a large church of, uh, you know, over 10,000 people. And they have an Easter presentation and uh, part of it is they have a person in the thing that personifies Satan. He's always a part of the crowd yelling at Jesus, and this person's dressed in black. So it's the devil. And anyway, when it comes to the resurrection scene, this person who personified demon—I mean Satan is standing there pushing on the tomb, trying to keep Jesus from being resurrected. And then they have this explosion and this smoke, and you can't see everything. And when the smoke finally clears... Here's this person that personified Satan laying on his back and the tombstone's on top of him and Jesus is standing on top of the stone. <laughs> Amen. I like that depiction. I mean, Satan gave it everything he had and boom, Jesus came from the dead and overcame all of the power of the devil. And yet we're saying, Oh God, could you please heal me? Could you spare just enough power to please get me healed? People come up. I had a guy walk up to me one time and he says, I've got a sore neck, my back hurts, sciatica all the way down his leg. He says, my foot's numb, i got neuropathy. And he started naming all of these things and I was just listening to him and he looked at me and he says, but you know what, I, I could just live if God would just heal the pain that's in my back, in my neck. And I say, oh, well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, if we were to ask God to heal your neck, your back, your nerve, your feet, all I mean, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure God could pull that off all at one time. Let's not ask God for very much. And you know, this guy looked at me and he says, that was kind of dumb what I said, wasn't it? I said, it was real dumb. But that's the way we approach God. Like, oh God, I'm just asking this little thing of you. Could you please spare enough power to do this? You got the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. That is greater than the power that it took to create the universe. That's right. I guarantee you, raising Jesus from the dead is the greatest display of God's power in the history of the universe. And here we are saying, oh God, could could you... Heal a cold? God could. I've had people come up, can God heal AIDS? Man, that just expresses how full of unbelief we are. You have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. All things are possible. It is not a problem with God, and it's not God who's out there turning the switch on and off. No, He's placed His generator, His power on the inside of you. And if you aren't seeing the power of God, it's not God who hasn't given. It's you that hadn't flipped the switch. It's you that hadn't turned on and released the power of God. God's already done it. By grace, it's already been done. Now, are you going to reach out and partake of it, or are you going to continue to ask God as if He hasn't done anything? Are you going to continue in unbelief and say, Oh God, would you please move in my life? When the Bible says He's already moved. Are you going to ask God to rent the heaven and disbelieve that God has rent the heaven and come down through Jesus? Are you going to ask Him to heal you when He says, by His stripes you were healed? Are you going to ask Him to give you joy and peace and pour out His love in your life when the Bible says that you have already the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. It's already on the inside of you. That's good news. And you know, when I preach this way, one of the common questions that people come up with, Well, then what do we pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. I had not got time tonight to tell you, but I can guarantee you the vast majority of the way the body of Christ prays is nothing but unbelief. And that's the reason it's not getting results. I know that's a sacred cow. I know that that's offensive to some people. But you know what? The vast majority of Christians are not pleased with the results they're getting. And yet, they get offended if you say that, you know, your prayers are ineffective. They want to keep doing the same thing, but they want different results. That's insane. If what you're doing isn't working, you ought to consider that maybe I'm doing something wrong. And I'm telling you, it would be much more effective to just begin to start thanking God for what he's already done instead of asking him to do something that he hasn't done. It takes faith to thank God. It takes faith to move into that realm. You know, I was talking to my brother here tonight that uh, was at our meetings. I forget exactly when it was, but Pastor Bobby Ray over here prayed for him, and he, Bobby Ray didn't know anything about him, but he prayed over every physical thing that he had. And he says, I knew it was God speaking to me because Bobby Ray didn't know a thing. It was God but then he went on to say how that he still haven't, hasn't seen manifestation and what should I do? And you know, basically I was telling the same thing I've been telling you. I said, well, you know it was God because he didn't know what was wrong with you. God spoke to you. You know, you've got a word from God that you've been healed. And he says, well, what should I do? And I said, I'd start thanking him and <laughs> praising him that it, you know, that is a proof that God has already healed you. Now. And he says, but I don't feel him. Well, who cares? Start thanking Him. And you know what? The Bible says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that you abound in faith with thanksgiving. If you would start thanking God, your faith would rise up and all of a sudden things would start happening. God would show you things to do. But I tell you, it's so much easier to get over here and, oh, Father, thank You, thank You, thank You that You've already done it. And if you spend enough time meditating and thanking Him for what He's done, you know what? You'll go to believe in it. And the moment you believe it, grace and faith together will release the supernatural power of God and you will experience in your body what God has already provided. You know, I have an example of this woman who um, was at a conference and she had a big goiter on her neck And she came forward at this... It was a minister's conference type of thing. Thousands of people there. And she got prayer. And after she got prayer, she knew that she knew that she knew that God had healed her. So she stood up in front of the group and began to praise God that He had healed her. And yet she still had this big goiter on her neck. And you know what? The people praised God with her and thanked her, believing that the healing power of God was there and it would manifest itself. So they gave her mercy... And grace, the first night, even though you couldn't see any visible results. Well, the next year, she came back to that conference. And she got up and she said, Tonight is the one-year anniversary of when Jesus healed my gorder. And yet, she still had this big thing on her neck. And you know, the people, they didn't rejoice. They didn't praise God because they thought something's wrong. But they let it go. The next year, she came back. She said, This is the two-year anniversary of when God healed this gorder. And people got upset and they went to the leadership and said, you got to tell that woman to quit testifying. It's obvious that she's not healed. And she's making a fool of herself and mocking things and you need to tell her to quit. And so the leadership went and talked to this woman and said, you can't testify anymore until that gorder is gone. And this woman went to the Lord that night and she said, God, I know that you healed me. I believe that you healed me that night. I got prayer. I know it's been done. But these preachers can't believe unless they see it says, would you please take away that thing so that they could believe what you've already done. The next morning she got up, the gorder was gone, and she got up and says, I told you I was healed. Amen. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that we just go around saying things that, that, that aren't manifest, but I'm saying that we need to get to that place to where we believe so strongly that whether we experience it in our body is immaterial. I know it's true. And I wished I could convey that to people. Again, I haven't arrived in this area, but I've left. And I've got to a place that where things that I see on the inside are more real to me than what I see on the outside. It's true. You know, I hadn't got time to get, I'll just real quickly say this that I, in a service, saw the Lord walk in to a meeting. In the Spirit, I had my eyes closed. I saw these things, and it was so real that I opened up my eyes to see if I could see it with my eyes. And I could see everything happening that I saw in my heart except I couldn't see Jesus. In my heart, I saw Jesus walk over to a woman named Gail and touch her, and she fell flat of her face. Then she walked, He walked over to a woman named um, Cindy, and she just knelt down and lifted up her hand. And I saw the Lord start touching people and one by one, when I opened up my eyes, I saw all of the physical things happening, but I couldn't see the Lord. In my heart, I could see the Lord. And I could see it happening before it happened in the natural. So you know what? What, was, what I was seeing with my heart was more real and more vivid and more clear than what I was seeing with my eyes. So I eventually closed my eyes and went back seeing because I could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. I don't believe that that's meant to be abnormal. I believe that that should be normal. We should walk by faith and not by sight. We can get to where we see what God has done for us by grace and then we enter into it in faith and begin to rejoice. And when you get to a place to where you are so lost into what God has done and you are praising Him for it, then you know what? The physical realm will just reflect it nearly accidentally, nearly as a byproduct. You'll get to a place where God, I know I'm already healed, but this doctor, boy, would it be a great testimony to him if he could see and prove it in a test tube. You don't have to see it for you to believe it. You want to do that so other people can see it. Thank you for that thunderous silence. (laughs) I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we're living so far below our privileges. We've got an entire wrong mindset towards God to where we believe He could do anything, but He has done nothing. And we've got to beseech Him and beg Him and do all of these things. There's a better way, and that's to find out what God has already provided by grace and then just appropriate by faith what is already done. You don't have to labor to make it happen. Man, that's awesome. You know, this is the reason that we can heal the sick instead of pray for the sick. The Bible doesn't tell you to pray for the sick. It mentions it. It talks about if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and they will pray for you. But there isn't a command in the Bible to pray for the sick. It says, go heal the sick. There's a huge difference between saying, you're healed in Jesus' name. I command, I release the healing power of God. That's different than saying, dear Father." If it be your will, for Jesus' sake, stretch forth your hand and heal that person. That's a chicken prayer. (laughs) It takes no faith to pray that. Nothing's on the line. But man, when you stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, we command healing. Like Peter and John, when they went into the temple, they said, I don't have any money right now. It's not that they were broke. They just didn't have their wallet with them. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. Most people would kick them out of their church. How dare you say that you have the healing power of God? Well, I admit, Jesus said in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. I am not the healer. It is not my power. on my own, I can't heal a gnat, but I'm not on my own. God said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And I have the healing power of God on the inside of me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, I can say with John that such as I have, I have the healing power of God. And in the name of Jesus, I can command healing in people. Well, that's a different approach. That's what I'm talking about tonight. God has already provided everything by grace. Now we've got to get into a position of faith to where we believe it's a done deal instead of trying to faith that it's going to happen. It's already been done. You've already got it. So quit trying to get it and just operate in what God said He's already done. Amen. And it's Amen. the difference between victory and defeat. Amen? Amen? Now let me say this. If you haven't been born again, then this isn't true of you. Because you haven't received that born-again spirit and you don't have the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. See, Christianity isn't just an embracing of a set of rules or doctrines. It's accepting what Jesus did for you. And when that happens, the Bible says you become a new creature and you literally change and you get totally transformed in the spiritual realm. You pass from death unto life. And there's a lot of people today that in this nation just think that because they acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God and because they acknowledge some of the truths of Christianity, they think that makes them a Christian, and yet they've never been changed on the inside. They haven't been born again. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church and paid your tithes and done other things. If you haven't made Jesus your personal Lord and received this salvation on the inside, then you aren't saved, and it is not true that you have the supernatural raising from the dead power on the inside of you. That only comes through making Jesus Christ your personal Lord and you have an experience where he changes you on the inside. If you've never done that, you need to do that tonight to appropriate all of the things that I was talking about. The good news is he's already dealt with your sins so you don't have to beg and ask, will he do it? He's already done it. Will you receive it? If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart... God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then once you get born again, the scripture also says you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that is not synonymous with being born again. Because these disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said that had already been born again. So they were waiting to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. The Scripture shows that there is a separate experience where the Holy Spirit gives you this power and this ability to walk in that. And there's many things included. I hadn't got time to explain it, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, I tell you, you need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit and let this power come on the inside of you. There's a lot of people that come to my meetings that aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not unusual for us to see 100 150 people in a meeting like this receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because people see me on television and because I don't spit and scream and yell and do the typical Pentecostal things, they don't know that I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. There's some of you came here under false pretenses tonight. (laughs) But you know what? I am baptized in the Holy Spirit and you now have come to a Holy Roller meeting. Amen. And your friends are going to talk about you anyway, so you might as well get something. Amen. You might as well receive this power. Amen. It's to your advantage. And we aren't going to do anything to hurt you, but we want to pray with you and just release this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful gift. It'll help you. It changed my life. And if I had more time, I could explain it. But I've got a book that I'll give every person who comes up here to receive this, and it'll help you to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here tonight that would just raise their hand and say, I need to be born again, or and or I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'd like you to pray with me. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If there's a number of people with their hands up. (laughs) Praise the Lord.